Well, good evening, everybody. Hello. I'd like to welcome those who are watching on the live stream. Um, uh, it's always nice to have the live stream so that when people might be a little under the weather or it's a little late at night, um, they can join in on the live stream. So if you're watching on live stream, I want to welcome you. Uh, grab your mug of hot cocoa or whatever it is you drink and your Bible and your uh, all that good stuff, and we're going to get started. So uh, it's great to see everyone here tonight. Um, what a as usual, what a, what a wonderful group of people that come out on these evenings. But um, wow, did you see the snack bar? Incredible. My goodness. I, I just, I know there's pound cake up there, but there's just so much goodness over there. It's the, somebody told me they actually made a chocolate trinity. What was it? A chocolate lover or something? But it didn't, it didn't turn out quite right, so she didn't bring it. But I'm thinking Maybe it turned out so not right that it, it didn't make it here tonight. Right, Sandra? Death by chocolate. That's the way I want to go. That's the way I want to go when the Lord takes me. Well, again, welcome, everybody. I um, just have a few announcements tonight. A wild bunch we have tonight here. Um, first thing is that we have uh, tonight we're going to be finishing up chapter two. Now, if some of you may or may not have been here um, the past couple weeks, I typically like to do a bit of a review and get, go, you know, get the review going just to talk about what we covered. Um, but today we're going to finish up two, and it's so surprising. I could probably spend on these four verses probably a month, but I'm not going to because we need to have forward momentum, so we're going to concisely wrap this thing up. But um, next week... Pastor Brenton will be starting chapter 3, and so he's going to get into that chapter. It's talking about uh, Christ is greater than Moses, and then there's actually a warning in there to, about don't be like the Israelites. So the, the next, so, and then, but one more thing after that, so we'll have this week, we will have next week when Pastor Brenton um, begins chapter or 3, we'll have one more week where I'll pick up where he left off, whether that's and partly in three or partly in, uh, in, in maybe into four. I don't know how far he's going to go. And then after that, we will be on a break. So we'll have this week and then two more weeks, and then we're going to be on a break for a while, um, probably until January, I think. So for the, hol for the Christmas season, we are going to take some time off, um, as well as men's Bible study. They have time off as well. So just, just things that, just to let you know. Um, real quickly, um, we do have a few journals left. We will be in Hebrews for quite a while. There's two journals left. Oh, there's more. Well, there's two journals tonight, if anybody would like a journal, because um, we're going to be in Hebrews for a while. And I do have uh, all of my notes, and, and Brenton has his notes. If you ever were to gain a journal or you miss something, feel free to see me. I have all of my notes I can hand you and let you look over things just to kind of catch up with everything. So um, I think those are the announcements. I, I most certainly want to thank... Erlene, and as always, like it's typically Erlene and Ani and Vicki Stratton um, and, and Shelby when Shelby's here. Shelby doesn't tend to visit when it, it gets a little too dark, but, but that team of uh, ladies that we have that love to serve and to put together these beautiful spreads. I look over there and there's, it, I don't know if you notice or not, but during Christmas time, it's Christmas decor. During spring, it's spring decor. I'm just talking about the decorations, and I love to see that. It just, there's a a warmth to that that I really appreciate that our um, Erlene and her her whole team bring, and I just wanted to say how much I appreciate that to the whole team. And I know Vicki Stratton makes some mean chocolate chip cookies, even though she's not paying attention right now, but <laughs> anyway, well, let's go ahead and begin. Um, let's go ahead and begin with prayer. Uh, Father God, we, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for those who have come out tonight uh, to to study your word, Lord to gain understanding and application of uh, what you have written to us, Father. Uh, that's how you speak to us, Lord, today mostly. And Father, I appreciate uh, the fact that we are even able to gather tonight and read the Bibles. Uh, in some countries at this very moment, uh, that is not allowed. In fact, people are being persecuted daily because of it, Lord. So we're grateful for that, Lord, and spirit of thanksgiving, Lord. We pray for those who are watching online that could not make it tonight, Lord, that you'll also, um, your Holy Spirit will work as, they, as we look at your text, that the Holy Spirit will illuminate the text, Father, that we may, again, gain understanding and knowledge of you and your Son and the Holy Spirit, Lord, and how we can apply these 
uh, things to our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. So, what I want to do is just kind of do a brief overview. For those of you who are, who are just maybe quite, you know, maybe you weren't here last week, maybe you were here, but I just want to kind of catch you up to speed so that you know where this current passage will launch us from. And so, um, if you take your Bibles and turn to chapter 2, which we are still in, I'm going to do a very quick flyover of verses 10 through 13. And I'm just going to, if you want to like, just look at the verses as I speak, and you'll notice in the verses what I'm saying. I'll be kind of, I'll give you a summary of what we did. And uh, so just direct your attention, if you will, um, starting in verse 10. And I'm just going to read a summary as you look through this. So verse 10, God's plan of redemption for us. And that is, of, when I say us, that's, that's the many sons. Uh, we are the many sons. We are the, the, the heirs and the brothers and sisters with Christ. So God's plan of redemption for us, many sons, through the suffering of his son, was perfect and appropriate. The word here is fitting. God's plan was fitting. It was appropriate how he did it, how God directed this through his son. Uh, verse 11, 12 and 13, uh, the summary here is Christ and the many sons. Many sons referring to, to us, us as believers. Uh, the many sons are, are of one source. That is family. We're all united under God as the Father. Um, and that is why we are called brothers and sisters. We have been adopted by God and our fellow brothers and sisters and heirs with Christ. So that's a brief summary of the entire hour of last week, just kind of a quick overview. And that brings us to our text tonight, which um, is, it's an amazing text. Um, the title for tonight, if I could kind of summarize it, is if you're taking notes tonight, is Christ's complete purpose. Christ's complete purpose. I, I like to try to pull a theme in general out of a passage. Sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. Sometimes something is obvious, sometimes there's not. Sometimes there are plenty of points to a one-point story, uh, but tonight's, uh, really the overview is Christ's complete purpose. Um, now, underneath that, if you're taking notes, as we go through, you can write these on the top of the page. And as we hit each one, you might want to expound on that as we go. So I don't know how you take notes, but let me give you the, the six, sixth, uh, six things that Christ truly does. So you can just start by writing Christ truly and then put a semicolon there or a dash. And I'm going to give you six things that this particular passage demonstrates that shows that Christ truly does. So Christ truly, number one, became human. That's the first one. Christ truly, first one is became human. Second one, number two, Christ truly suffered. Truly suffered. Number three, Christ truly conquered death. Truly conquered death. So one was became human, truly became human. Two, he truly suffered. Three, he truly conquered death. Number four, this is a little bit longer, he truly became our merciful and faithful high priest. Let me, let me read that again. He truly became our merciful and faithful high priest. That's number four. He truly became our merciful and faithful high priest. Number five is that he truly satisfied our debt. He truly satisfied our debt.
So one, he truly became human. Two, he truly suffered. Three, he truly conquered death. Four, he truly became our merciful and faithful high priest. Five, he truly satisfied our debt. And number six, the last one, is that he truly helps us in our temptations. He truly helps us in our temptations. So those are the six things we're going to be looking at. Again, he truly became human. He truly suffered. He truly conquered death. He truly became our merciful and faithful high priest. He truly satisfied our debt. And he truly helps us in our temptations. You can see that each one of those passages, each one of those points is an entire sermon. You know, it really, really, we could spend so much time on that. Um, but but I, I just, for the sake of just wanting to retain the completeness of this text, I want to just point these things out as we go through this. And, and I'll add a few things here and there that are observed in the text. But so let's begin um, in verse 14. This is the first, obviously the first point here is that he is truly human. We're going to see in this text. So let's go ahead and begin reading in chapter 2, verse 14. And, and, and just to back up, before we even look there, look, look, look up above, and he was saying in, in verse uh, 11, he says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, that's us, all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. That is us. And so he talks about, and he has some texts and passages there. So then he goes, since, so coming from that passage, since therefore the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood, he's speaking of us and that we all as brothers and sisters in Christ are human and share in flesh and blood. He, meaning Christ himself, likewise partook of the same things. So let's just kind of stop right there. The point, the first point being, uh, he was truly human. And so since we are all made of flesh and blood, it says he also, he also partook. What does that really mean, partook? That means he, he took on or he became. If you can, if you can imagine before, before, the, before the foundations of the earth, before creation, there was the Trinity. There was God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy, God the Holy Spirit. And what was God doing? God was being a father to his son, Jesus. But he was not in human form. Human form came only through the plan of redemption that God instituted. So, this is, the, this is the point at which he became truly human. So, the first point here, being truly human, he took on flesh and blood and all the things that go with being a human being. Now, sometimes it's really hard to, to kind of wrap our heads around that because we, we picture Christ, some of us picture Christ at birth, at Christmas time in the manger, and some of us picture Christ only at the cross. Some of us picture Christ in those few years that he was in, in service, doing the ministry, doing the miracles. But there was the whole time between, there were the toddler years. And, you know, I don't think he had the terrible twos, because I guess he resisted temptation at that point. But, and then he, had the, he was young, he was youthful, he had a family and brothers and sisters and lived in an area where he, there were games played and there were things that happened. And then, then he was, uh, then as he grew in stature and, and, and his knowledge came, and then it was his time and he was in the temple at 12, I think, and his parents were upset at him because he was off teaching the temple and they were angry. And, and so all of these things of, and then he, be, then he built, built things. He was a carpenter. Uh, I believe some people say he actually built um, yokes for ox, oxen, uh, which is actually a very high, high, um, highly skilled craft because they're very refined. It's not like they're just basic woodwork. It's actually, these are fit perfect for animals. And, and so he was a very skilled craftsman, but all, the, all of his life, all throughout his life, he experienced every temptation through every stage of his life that we experience. It's hard to wrap our heads around that. Maybe he was picked on. Maybe he was thrown down. Maybe he, um, you know, was tempted with jealousy or envy or maybe all the things. Oh, he was. 
I wonder what that looks like. The narrative doesn't show it. But you know that he lived a perfect life and was tempted in every way that we were. And so it's just interesting. So some of the ways he was tempted. Um, in fact, Christ endured or experienced the trials of life. Generally, just the trials. I'm sure there was loss. I'm sure he was became sick or ill. Um, the things that we experience, the general trials of life. He experienced the temptations of life. We know that especially what's, what's documented in how he was tempted by the, the angel of light, Satan himself. And so that's a temptation beyond what we can even fathom. See, Christ's temptation was greater in a way because we are tempted, but we give in. He never did. So I can't imagine how great the temptation would have been to never have given in to the temptation. It's just a different thing. It's a hard paradigm to think about. He was also tempted by, or he experienced, just the general distractions of life. And so the things that just kind of pull us away from what we're supposed to be doing, how we're supposed to be living the Christian walk. Just the, the Hebrews call it, and later in, the, in this passage, not this passage, but in the book, chapter 12, he talks about encumbrances. And these are just things that we just get caught up in in life. Maybe his work as he crafted things, uh, the temptation to just get caught up in dwelling on those things a little more than what he should be dwelling on. So just the humanity of Jesus, as we look at these passages, is, is we need to understand that he experienced all the things that we experience from just the general things, being distracted by things, just the general trials of life, the darker trials of life, we'll, we'll get into. So, which brings me to the question, do you find yourself experiencing these things? And as you experience the things like um, getting caught up in the trials of life and, and the hard parts of life and, and the, the, the difficulties with family and, and all of those things, how do, we, how do we navigate that knowing that Christ experienced those things? And so I think as we get farther into this text, we'll see that he is our perfect high priest because the fact that he experienced all the things that we experience. And it's important just to realize the humanity, the true humanity. He's truly God, truly man, but he truly experienced all the things that we experience. And so, um, let's, this kind of brings us right into, number, into two, because we don't just have the basic encumbrances of life. We do have trials of life, but we do have absolute suffering. So, we know that Christ, number two, the point is he truly suffered. So this comes in where it says he partook of the same things. That, that's sort of generally he became human. But as you know the story of Christ and what he did, you know he suffered. So he partook the same things, he even suffered unto death. So Christ endured these are just some of the things that, that, that I, as I was writing these down, it really kind of began to sink in. Yes, he was human in the basic ways that were human and experienced all the difficulties of growing up and, and the things that he did. But, but these are some things here that he experienced that we may or may not ever experience. We'll experience some of these things, but Christ suffered. Here are some of the ways he suffered. He had emotional pain of humanity. We get that. We have emotional pain. We have loved ones that pass away. We have uh, things that occur in our lives that are, that are severe trials and they're emotional pains. He experienced those things, okay? Hostility from other people. I'm sure no one in this room has ever experienced that. But to the level that Christ experienced it, we may have. We may have experienced some sort of persecution or hostility, but not to the level that I don't think from that he experienced. Um, now, I think in other countries, perhaps, where the persecution is strong, uh, when, it, when it comes to Christianity, the hostility can be great. Even his own people were hostile to him. Another way he endured the suffering was through bodily torture. Um, I hope that none of us ever have to uh, go through anything close to what he experienced on the cross. Um, there's a passage in Hebrews 12. I'll just read it for you. Um, this is a passage that, that is, 
it's supposed to be an encouraging passage, which it truly is, but it's, it's an exhortation not to grow weary. In, chapter, in, chapter, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And then here, this is an interesting passage right here. It says, it's verse 4, In your struggle against sin, have you not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood? Let me read that one more time. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. It's more of an imperative there. And so that's referring to what Christ had gone through. And so I think that um, I pray we never have to experience something like that. But in Christ's humanity, in the suffering he had with his humanity, he endured the bodily torture of the crucifixion. And the last thing is, the first thing was emotional pain of humanity just generally. The second was hostility from his own people and others. The third, bodily torture and the fourth, anguish of death. We talked about that term anguish, what that means uh, several weeks ago. And anguish is the, the most dreadful, uh, painful sorrow that one can possibly feel. It's, it's pumped full of darkness and anxiety and pain and misery. The moment you just find out a loved one has passed away, anguish is, is the darkest. But in, in, in the garden, he experienced that because he was moments from uh, or hours from crucifixion. So the anguish of death, the anguish of anticipating what he was going to go through. I pray that none of us ever have to go through that. But that's the suffering that came with the humanity of Christ. And so not only was he generally, number one, truly human in every way and tempted in every way, but he also suffered terribly and humanly that hopefully we'll never have to struggle with or, or, or have the experience of. Um, This brings me to another question in that I know in this room, just based on looking around, knowing people's prayer concerns and their experiences and what people are going through and what people have on their minds, knowing that Christ experienced these things tenfold and to a greater degree, there is some comfort that comes from knowing that our perfect high priest who is constantly praying for us and interceding for us, Scripture is clear on that. Christ who is interceding for us and praying for us have, has experienced all of these things. So in suffering and trial, it's important to know that we can go directly to Christ in prayer knowing that he understands and he can feel the things that we feel. There's nothing that you guys... That, that any of us have felt or are experiencing or going through that Christ didn't feel while on earth. He was human to that degree. So he was so human that anything anyone has ever experienced in their life on earth, what they haven't, what they've experienced, what they're experiencing now, what they have experienced, what they're going to experience, Christ has had it all and then more. And so knowing that, there is a great comfort in that the Christ that we go to with our requests and our presentations and our with thanksgiving has been there and has experienced those things and knows those things. And there's something called sympathy and there's something called empathy. Sympathy is when come, someone comes up to you and, and they maybe they're going through a terrible divorce and or maybe they have a, a they just got a, a horrible medical results. And you might not have gone through that. So all you can really do is go, I am so sorry. I don't know what that feels like, but you know I'm praying for you. Know that I, I'll, I'm here for you. But there's a degree to which if you've been through a trial, a serious, a very serious medical condition, you've beat cancer, you've gone through terrible, uh, tumultuous relationships, but you've come out strong and the Lord's brought you through these things, that's empathy. 
That's, you've been there, you've done that. So when come, someone comes up to you and says, I'm going through this thing and you've gone through that, how much greater that, that you've been through that. You, you know you experienced that. And so Christ has experienced all the things, every, every aspect of our humanity, every trial, every feeling, every emotion, so that we know that he's not just this distant person that's intervening for us, but it's a person of Christ who feels it and knows it and knows intimately how we feel. And that, to me, is just beautiful to know that, that when we go to Christ with things, it's not just some cloud or a light that we're praying to. It's a human, a person, well, not human anymore. He's in a glorified body, but he was a human here on this earth. Like this ground, he was here on this earth that we're on. He rose, but he experienced those things. And so he partook in all that. And so that's kind of where this text goes. Um, so number one, he was truly human. Number two, he was truly, truly suffered. Okay, let's move on. Or we're going to be here forever. Um, let's continue on here. We only got to the first verse. So he partook in those things that through death, through death, that's on the, crucif that's on the cross, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Well, what's he saying there? Well, he's saying there that, and I want to I I look at this one particular, this, this is, sometimes trips people up a little bit. It says that through death, through the cross, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Now, sometimes that can people can question that? What do you, you mean? What do you mean? Like Satan has that much power? He has power of death. What's it? Doesn't really mean that Satan has power over death. We we know that only one person has our days numbered, and that's God alone. Even in the text with Job, when 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 he was being tempted, when when all the terrible things were stricken, Satan was at God's beckoning. Satan came to God. God allowed him to do the things, but God was in supreme and sovereign control over the entire situation. And he said, just don't touch his life. That's mine. I do that. There are many passages that talk about God being the one who numbers our days and our days are numbered. So just to be clear, Satan does not have power over death. Satan is like, Satan is like a, a naughty kid relegated to a sandbox with his own toys for destruction that he can have. Satan can play around on this earth with hurricanes and cancer and all the things that bring trauma and that lead to suffering and death. But Satan does not have control over death. So just to be clear on that particular thing. So does that make sense? Satan does not take or give life. Only God does that. But Satan can, on this sandbox of this earth, and he has this, he's on a chain, and he's allowed to do certain things, but he is, he's not, there's, you know, a lot of people think there's good and there's evil, which there are, but they're not equitable. They're not equal. They're not 50-50. It is God and you have Satan down here, a created being that does, and whatever God allows, that's all he can do. And he's just reigning in that little sandbox that he's playing around on this particular earth. And so just to be clear on that, that he does not have the power over death, but Back to the point, he destroyed the one. Death is the penalty for sin. And that's something we need to remember, that when they're talking about death, why is death such a big deal? Because death was the original penalty for, this, for the fall, for what Adam and Eve did. That, the penalty, because they would have lived for, forever. But because of that, death came. And so death is the, one, like the ultimate uh, part of the actual curse, death. But here Christ overcomes death. And so death is a penalty for sin. Satan can control death's, excuse me, Satan can control death's contributors, um, but only God has the authority to murder. Through Christ's death and resurrection, the power of death was shattered. For believers, the ultimate consequence of sin was lifted. So when we die as believers, 
there's no pain or sting in death. What, there's a passage, I don't remember it, maybe some of you do, death, where is thy sting? You know, I don't remember what that is, but there, there is no more sting for us. When we die, we simply take our last breath here, and in an instant, our first breath is with God. There really is no death. The only the hard part is for people that remain on earth. That's the difficult part. But for us as believers, death's sting is gone at this point. Christ took that away. We close our eyes. We take our last breath. We are immediately with Christ forever, forever. And so there's, there's where, that's what Christ did. He conquered that. I might feel like I'm rushing to this, but I'm just trying to get through this stuff. I want to go through these points. But so let's continue back in the passage. I want to read it one more time and deliver, deliver all those who through the fear of death, that is, that's the, the, the most severe part of our curse, were subject to lifelong slavery to death. That's been lifted. And then he goes into this interesting little section here in verse 16. And it's again more of a reminder. In fact, if you back up a little bit in chapter 2 and look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. And so, in other words, the point being, Christ did not come for angels. There, it, was, it was mankind. So it kind of repeats this here. Look at 15 now. We'll go back to 15. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And that technically was a Jewish lineage thing, but more, more globally, that is us as believers. So it wasn't, he's, just, he's kind of reinforcing the idea of, hey, this was, Christ didn't come for angels. The salvation is not for angels. This was for us, mankind. And so it's just an interesting turn there in this passage. So as we continue on, we get to number four. Did I get to three? I did get to three, didn't I? Yes, the suffering. Yes, number three was truly conquered death. So number one, truly human, Christ was. Number two, he truly suffered just in review, number three, he truly conquered death. I'm sorry if I didn't tell you that one, but that was truly conquered death. Which brings us to number four, he became our true high priest. And I think I threw the word merciful and faithful in there, but we're going to get to that. He became our true high priest. So let's continue to read through it. It says, so it says, therefore... Now, if you kind of go from the since in 14, so since, so since the children share in flesh and blood, so in other words, since Christ took on humanity and since he has the power over death now, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers. That's sort of a continuation of made in every respect. So therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. It's sort of reinforcing the humanity of Christ here in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's a lot of words right there. So let's kind of back up and go a little slower on this. So therefore, he was made like us, mankind, in every way. What I mean by that, and what I think what, what you've heard from the very beginning, is that an angel wouldn't have done it. It wouldn't have cut it if an angel did that. Remember, was it last week I said, well, what, what, why, was the, why did Christ have to become? Couldn't God have just waved his hand and said, all my children are going to be you know, come into salvation. I, I forgive you all and just moved, waved his hand. Or maybe he could have sent an angel or maybe he could have done something else. Maybe he would have uh, allowed the animal sacrifice to continue and that would have been sufficient. But he chose, God chose sovereignly to have his son become human. And in that humanity, it's just, none of us could have ever devised this plan or thought of it. So his, his son, getting sidetracked, his son became human so that he could be our perfect high priest. Now, to understand what high priest means, you have to know that throughout all of 
the, the Old Testament, pre the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, there was a sacrificial system with the Levitical priesthood and the, the Aaronic, Aaron, Aaronic priesthood. So that uh, once a week, there would be a high priest who was in the temple behind the, in the Holy of Holies, and that person would be the one that would absolve people of their sins through animal sacrifice. I think most of you know that, but that's but that gives you an idea of, of, of what high. But that high priest would be um, sometimes they would well they would die. Um, they were not perfect by any means, nor could they necessarily relate to every single thing that every person that was coming to them did or knew or experienced. But so this high this high priest that Christ is our high priest, our final and uh, perfect high priest not only is the one that is the best and the greatest and eternal, but he also experienced everything that we experienced. And that's what makes him a perfect high priest. So if you look at the passage here, he became human. And I'm just going to kind of read through my notes as you look at the passage, but so that he could be a better, everlasting, more faithful. Now, who is he faithful to? Why is the word faithful in there? faithful to his dad, his father. He was faithful to God the Father in, in submitting to God's will to the cross, to death, because we know that even at the very end, Christ said, if there's any other way, yet I will follow your will, yet I want to do your will. So he was faithful to God the Father. That's where the faithful comes in. And merciful, who's he merciful to? That's mankind, us. He's merciful to us. So when it says there, he was made in, to be like his brothers in every respect so that he might become merciful to his father and faithful to us, high priest, in the service of God the Father to make propitiation for the sins of people. Now, that's a big word. Sometimes the words that we get, um, tend to be lofty, and there's talk about propitiation. Simply put, it means to satisfy. God's, God's, uh, the sacrifice was satisfactory for the, to, to uh, amend, to quench the wrath of God, and to forgive our sins. So that's what propitiation means. So if I read this again, it says, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make satisfaction to make a satisfactory sacrifice for the sins of the people. So Christ truly was the final and the perfect sacrifice. So again, the term high priest, perfect high priest, is sometimes these are lofty words and, and there might not be clear understanding on them. Uh, but just to give it just that general understanding again, he was the one that ultimately was able to perfectly forgive because he lived a perfect life and was a perfect sacrifice and was a perfect high priest, an inter intercessor, an intermediary between us and the Father. And so um, I just find that amazing that, that, again, going back to his humanity, that he experienced all the things that we experienced and suffered in ways that we can never imagine. Um, so... This brings us really uh, to the last verse, which I think is one of the most comforting verses. Re read this with me as, as we get into this. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's pretty cut and dry right there. That's pretty clear. If you look at this and you go, I wonder if Christ can help me with this situation. Well, what does his word say? Right there, his word says, yes, he can. And when it says, had suffered when tempted, I think Christ, well, we know that Christ suffered through many temptations that hopefully we will never have to suffer through. Uh, starving for however long, fasting, and then being tempted with all the things. I would imagine being tempted in the garden when he was taken to just snap his, snap his fingers and the, 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 all the guard just dropped, dropped dead. 
And I would imagine that the temptation for Christ as he is literally suffocating, hanging on the cross, would be for him to say, I'm done. Isn't this enough? Do I really have to go through this full death? Or when he's being nailed to it, just wiping people out. And, and you know, the temptation to give in to that, to, to battle the humanity, um, would just have to be so great and so immense. But, he's, but that temptation, he suffered. So when it says, suffered when tempted, um, again, this just reinforces that. And I think this is the, this is the, little, um, the, the little so what part. You know, so we read a text, we read a passage. Great, so what? What does it mean? So what does it mean to that he was this? Well, this is it right here. So he did these things so that or because or it makes him able to help those who are being tempted. And that's where not only the role of perfect high priest comes in, but that's where the compassionate, our brother in Christ, our merciful Savior comes in. And that's just this incredible. It's just so, when I read that, I thought, wow, it almost looks like, you know, a Hallmark card or something, you know, just to, just to see how, how personal and touching that is to know that this, this one that suffered so dearly and deeply and, and, and boldly uh, did that so that we would be more able to relate and be more comforted by him because he has that true empathy. The question from that is, do you Trust and believe this truth enough to boldly go to the throne of grace for mercy and grace in time of need. Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16, I'll just read it for you. I'm kind of cheating by going ahead, but if you want to turn there. It says, and this is sort of expounds a bit. On, on, the, on the high priestliness of, of Christ. Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens. Wow. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. In other words, what we believe. Talk about strong encouragement here. Because we have a faithful high priest, here's the application. Hold fast to what we know. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Listen to this. Let us then, with confidence, draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's just beautiful. I don't know what I don't know what you guys are experiencing or going through tonight, um, but as we conclude this, I know it's a little quick, but I, I do have three things. Sometimes my application points and conclusions go a little longer, so we're not out of the woods yet. Don't put your Bibles away. Um, but before we get to those points of application, let me just let me just kind of revisit what we saw in this in these four verses. Literally, it's 14 to 18, isn't it? Yeah, four verses. So we have, uh, again, Christ's complete purpose. I think this, these four verses sort of, sort of summarize so much, so many doctrines of what we believe, just in one, one brief passage here. So in this text, we observe that Christ truly became human. We know He did. In fact, we celebrate that coming up in a few weeks. Just, my, just wrapping my head around the condescension of Christ. I just, if you just really think about it. In fact, this week as you, in fact, as, as we, between now and Christmas, think about these things. And knowing with the knowledge you have and understanding you have of, of the high priesthood of Christ and the suffering he went through and the reasons and, and how he was tempted in every way from birth to death. But knowing that he was for eternity with his Father in heaven and then came, because sometimes we think of Jesus as just already being human. He wasn't. He came to earth, became human, took on our flesh and blood, 
that we have as brothers and sisters, as humans and mankind. And then as that child grew, that he was truly God and truly man. And so that true, that true human nature that we, that we can understand through this, knowing what it, what it brings and the empathy it brings with it because of the suffering, just as we come into this season, think about those things. Maybe you'll think about Christ differently as you see him in a manger or you, you, you hear the stories or you sing the songs. Um, so we observed that he became truly human. Uh, he truly suffered in ways that hopefully we would never suffer. He truly conquered death. He truly became our merciful to us and our faithful to, to, to God's high priest. He did satisfy our sin debt fully and cleanly or clearly. Um, and this, the last verse there, he helps us in our temptations. Whatever we're going through, whatever we struggle with, he is there constantly, 24-7. Not only when we go to him, he's actually just praying for us. He's interceding when we're not even praying for us. Um, points of application. The first one is, do you find yourself caught up in your own humanness? I, I sure do, you know, especially, especially as the roads begin to fill, you know, praise God for people that come down for the winter, <laughs> but, 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 but our temptations, the things we struggle with, all these things, do you feel the weight of, the, of your human nature? Um, the temptations of life, the distractions of life, the things that we just get caught up in, work, hobbies that might outweigh what we should really be focusing on, uh, the distractions of life. Um, the trials of life, all those things can really weigh us down. Our human nature, that Christ experienced, can really take its toll sometimes. I met with a dear brother yesterday for lunch, and he's just struggling with some things. And he said, I just, I just, I just can't stop the spinning in my head. There's just so much going on, and I just keep thinking about this, and I keep thinking about that. And I, I wonder about this, and I wonder about that. And uh, it reminds me of a story that Pastor Brenton shared with me. Um, it was um, Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's mother. And she was distraught in the middle of the night, woke up thinking about her son, Franklin, who had departed, or didn't part, he was just not living the Christian walk and was, was, had backslidden, was fallen. And she said, I just, I just couldn't stop thinking about the, the things, the, the, the trials of this life, and I, it just was a spinning whirlwind in my head. And then Philippians uh, 4, 6 through 8 came to her because she knew that scripture. She meditated on that, and she said, I got to the point where it said, be anxious for nothing. Okay, great. But then it says, with, but present your, well, it says, with thanksgiving. And so she said, she said, I just started, in it, my humanness took over, but I just started thanking God for allowing us to have a son and allowing the good times that we've had with Franklin. Now, we all know now that Franklin is, is, is doing very well and he's walking with the Lord and is uh, bound for heaven. But, but in that moment, she started giving thanks for all those things, thanking the Lord for, for his redemption and what, what Christ did in her life. And she said, at that moment, with all the thanksgiving, it was like a light came on in my head. And all the little thoughts, all the little nagging things scurried away like rats and roaches until they were gone. And she said, at that point, I realized that worship and worry can't live in the same place. I thought, wow, that's a really interesting way to, to, to look at our human nature. And, and we, we all experience these things. We all have these, we get caught up in turmoils in our heads and we're, we can't get off the, the, the carousel, Pastor Greg calls it. And so giving thanks, giving thanks for what we just read tonight, giving thanks for knowing that we have an empathetic Savior. I don't think Buddha was, emph was empathetic like Christ was. I don't think any other, any other religion, if you study them, they were never as, they never were Christ. It was a perfect plan. So the temptations in life, the distractions by the trials in life, uh, know that the perfect Lamb of God faced all of these things. The second point of application I'd like to bring to you tonight is, are you suffering in any way? 
through emotional pain, hostility perhaps from people, maybe from loved ones or family, uh, medical trials uh, that you're dealing with, know that Christ endured suffering and far more suffering. You know, I don't think we've quite got to the suffering that he endured, although it can be close. So just know that our perfect high priest that intercedes for us has been through those. Finally, uh, do you know that you can and should boldly come to Christ with your hurts, temptations, and humanity, knowing that Christ, too, endured the very same? He will help and he will comfort you. Isn't that just wonderful? Knowing that not only do we have a sovereign God who has a plan for our lives that we can submit to, but we also have that, that other aspect, that, that, that human nature that Christ had. And we are brothers and heirs with him, and he uh, can bring great comfort. So we need to bring our requests to him and present them with thanksgiving, and he will certainly guard our hearts and minds within himself. Um, so, that's just a, to me, it was an encouraging passage. There's a lot in there. Again, there's quite a bit of doctrine in there and theology, but it's good. And if you read it as a whole, though, just the bigger, what's the big picture? And that is uh, Christ's complete purpose. And when I mean complete, I mean in every way. And for the reason of this last verse, he is able to help those who are tempted. He's able to help those who are tempted. That's us. So... Anyway, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father God, we, we thank you for this uh, day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your perfect plan that brought your son to this world, Lord, to, to not only be the propitiation or to satisfy the sins that we have, Father, that we had from the beginning, Lord, but, and, but also that he could have suffered and lived a perfect life, being tempted in every way, dealing with all the humanity that we go through, Lord, so that he would be not only a perfect and merciful and faithful high priest, Lord, but an empathetic high priest that we are to go to for comfort, Father. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for everyone who's come out tonight, Lord. We pray that as we, as we head into this uh, glorious Christmas season, Father, that we remember Lord, why you came and who you are, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.